Your boredom is over, but we're just getting started here on Mo Show's Recap, talking about 11-22-63, both the date and the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here first by a man who is not supposed to be here, but he's here anyway, Rob Sesternino. Rob, what's going on? Yes, I am here, and I'm eating some delicious hamburgers. They're so cheap. I don't know how this meat is so tasty. What a what a lovely meal this is. You love that sweet 60s. Yeah. It's your thing. This is your jam. That's your, that's your jam. Mm. Also a big fan of the Sweet 60s meat, Antonio Mazzaro. <laughs> I ordered a diet hamburger, Josh. Is this just a salad now in front of me? I don't understand. <laughs> that's what's going on. Yeah. We got, we got the order wrong. We screwed up. I hope you'll eat it anyway. Yeah, I probably will. All right. And here, here is our special guest for this week's episode of Mo Show's Recap. She knows the book on time travel backward and forward. Jessica Lees. Jess, what's up? Um, everything's pretty great. I'm calling you guys from the future. That's pretty awesome. We're all stuck in the past. You're in the future. It's Somehow true. we still have radio technology. It's true. It's it's a miracle of invention. Miracle of invention. How's everybody doing? Rob, how are you doing today? Oh, very good. Very excited to talk about the show. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're high on this one. This is 112263 based on a Stephen King novel coming to you from J.J. Abrams and Brian Burke starring James Franco. It's kind of an all-star lineup of people involved in this show and I heard from you earlier in the week, Rob, that you really liked this first episode. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I felt like that there was a little bit of a back to the future vibe to it where I love things that are about time travel. And I felt like, you know, we have some intrigue with the Kennedy assassination, but I think that there's also some fun to it as well. Yeah. So based on a novel by Stephen King, Jess, I believe you are the only one of the four of us who has read the book. No spoilers. No spoilies. I'm not spoiling anything. And Except to say that I think that the series is going to diverge from the book enough that might not even make any difference. So more Walking Dead than Game of Thrones. Yeah, it seems like it's a riff. Hmm. So so that's interesting. So far, based on the first episode. We'll dig into that. Jess, of course, is uh, you all know her from Amazing Race, her Survivor writing, her stuff on Previously TV, where you are recapping 11-22-63. Also, co-host of the new Walking Dead book club. Yeah, it seems like I just read the book of everything. That's good. that's your thing. <laughs> you read the book and you give us the report. It's good. Uh, I can't, but I can't reca- wait for your. I can't wait for the podcast about the Bible Part Two by Mark Burnett. Yes, <laughs> yes. I know that the, the changes, the differences. I really need the update. I also especially love all of your podcasts about the differences between the book and the Amazing Race graphic novels. So that's really impressive as well. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they really went off the rails this season. I mean, in the book, it's all, um, instead of it's all YouTube stars, it's all like TV talk show hosts. It's really, really strange. It's weird. Huh. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. I'm Got rooting it. for Kevin Smith's team. So far. That was uh, Kevin Smith in the graphic novel? I thought it was Billy Mays. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh Meta gosh. jokes that some people will not understand. All right, let's let's dig into this a little bit more. But Jess, you, we we have you on here not just as somebody who has read the books, but you are recapping this show for previously TV. So you are you are hooked into this thing. Yep, I am locked and loaded for the entire run of the series. So can you set up what we're getting into for people who haven't watched the show yet? It's a new show on Hulu. It is about some time travel wonkiness. It stars James Franco. What do people need to know? Ah, uh, people need to know it's basically it's a guy in the present day who finds, you know, via his friend, his friend introduces him to a time portal in the storage room of a diner, and that takes him back to 1960. And 
when he goes back to 1960, he is tasked with uh, the job of trying to prevent the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So it takes the Kennedy conspiracy theories that everybody always has and marries that with time travel, which is going to leave you with something pretty ridiculous, most likely. Yeah, it kind of goes off the rails because it turns out when you go back in time and you try to change things, the past really does not want to be changed. Yeah. And it will fight back against everything you try to do. Antonio, what did you think of this? I, I think that that's true. I think anytime you try to change the way people see history, people really do try to fight back against that. We've seen that to be true in our modern times. I had a lot of fun with the show. Uh, I'm a big Kennedy kind of, I try not to be a Kennedy conspiracy theory buff because I don't really like what that means for my life. Uh, and for what that, you know, what that, that corners that paints me into, you know, but I do, I'm fascinated by it. I went to Dallas once, uh, for, uh, another reason and ended up at Dealey Plaza and just, I couldn't believe it. I just, it felt so surreal to be in a place that you've seen in movies and TV. So I was already in, I was interested in the book. Just, I just never got around to reading it. But once I heard they were making a show, I, I was all in. And I was very entertained by what we saw so far. Felt the pilot was a little long, but I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. Long pilot. You know, it felt like movie length. I think, it, you know, it yeah. was just shy of 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, it showed a little bit. I mean, because it was tonally a little bit. Uh, there was, a, there, you know, there was humor, but there wasn't. There was drama. And then the, it was a little bit all over the place in that regard. But they packed a lot into the pilot. And I think good for them. And I had a lot of fun with it. So, I really am looking forward to it. Coming out weekly, Josh, is that right? Coming out weekly on Hulu. And this kind of drives me crazy. Uh, I, I might be alone here on this of the four of us, but this drives me nuts that Hulu has the audacity to release a show weekly. What's, why is this not just all available as a binge? Somebody give me a good reason why. Rob loves this. Yeah, I do like it because that I feel like that just because Netflix had to put out the first season of House of Cards all at once. And people were like, oh, that's different. Why does a show, just because it is streaming to me, has to be delivered exactly that all 12 episodes land on my, on, on my hard drive or Apple TV or whatever? You know, that wasn't the way with YouTube series. It's not like a show goes up on YouTube and... If it's a web series, every episode is on from the start. I like having the discussion. I mean, and again, I'm a person who podcasts for a living. I like the idea of having a show and then I get to have a week or so to talk about it. And I don't feel like all this pressure. Oh, I got to watch all eight episodes or somebody's going to ruin it for me by the end or the end of this weekend. I think I would get that if, you know, if it was sort of like destination viewing where you knew Monday night, the new episode of 112263 is coming on and it's not going to be online for another several hours afterwards. So if you want to catch that initial wave, you got to be there when it's coming out. But it's just it launches on on Mondays at midnight and then you basically just can watch it at your pace throughout the week. And I don't see any reason why you wouldn't just be able to have access to the rest of the episodes. Maybe I'm alone here. Maybe no. Oh. When you think about this from the point of view of somebody that is working for Hulu, um, you can think about if this is if there's like one piece of destination television that you're going to sit down and binge for eight hours and you're never going to see it again. You're never going to have any reason to go on Hulu again. What would stop everybody from just signing up for the free one week trial, sitting down all weekend, watching all of 112263, canceling it immediately and never giving Hulu a cent? Right. Which is probably like the advised course of action to do once all of eleven twenty two sixty three is available. Absolutely. Like just wait until all eight episodes are out and then sign up for that trial and then delete. Yeah, yeah. That's the move. 
Antonio, yeah. do you have feelings? Well, I think it's incumbent on Hulu to prevent that, to have more than just that for original content. I think people thought the same thing about Netflix when House of Cards launched. Like, all that. They're dumb because people are just going to sign up for a free month, watch all of House of Cards, and then leave. But I think the idea is that they, you know, they have this original content. And just like HBO keeps you renewing your HBO subscription by new series launching over the course of the year, I think Hulu's goal would be to do the same thing. But, I mean, if, they're, if they want to keep their people month to month, they just need to have more content. So you can't binge literally everything that they have only on Hulu in one weekend. And so I don't know. I'm of two minds. If there was more of this available to me, I absolutely would have watched it. I probably will let a couple of them build up before I go back in and watch it again. Uh, and so to me, that indicates that I'm probably more in line with the model that you prefer, it seems like, Josh, that, that I would probably rather have more of these available to me from the jump. But I do like uh, having the ability. Of course, we're here at Post Show Recaps. <laughs> so we like to podcast and talk about TV shows as they happen and ruminate on them and kind of analyze them over the course of the week. And so I'm not going to reject that model out of hand. I, I, I do like that that model exists. Uh, it keeps the lights on here. So I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I'll probably just let these pile up and watch some more when they're all done. And I like that somebody is trying this. I feel like that just because that House of Cards model was what Netflix started with. I don't know why we have to be so beholden to it. I feel like why not try a show that's on a streaming site that comes out once a week? I guess we could try it, but I feel like that's the advantage of streaming is that this is where you can offload your entire story and you can, you know, devour it in one chunk. And especially 112263 based on a book, like to have that sort of sensation of being able to read this book at your own pace that you can just choose when to go into chapters, when to close the book, when to keep going. I would love to have that approach with a story like this. I feel like the reason you're seeing so many people do this, you know, model that House of Cards kind of revolutionized is because it's really good and it's it, it's different and yeah a lot of people are doing it but i think it works and i think that it's a really fun way of consuming stories this was something that antonio and i batted around with jeremiah panhorst a lot on our fargo podcast antonio and i we experienced the first season of fargo just by watching the whole thing on hulu in one shot and that was such a preferable experience to the week to week of season two yeah there's really in my experience like there are very few prestige television shows that I have been with from the jump. Like I don't usually warm up to something in episode one and think, okay, this is going to be my Sunday night for the rest of my life. Um, I was, I waited for game of Thrones for season two. I waited for breaking bad for season six. I waited for walking dead for season six. I'm one of those people that does binge everything I watch. And I think it's because that's also the way I read. So I can definitely understand like if if it was up to me, that would be my preferable way of taking everything in. Yeah. So So, I agree. I agree. And I I think that I think if you're Hulu and you're trying to be competitive with Netflix and Amazon prime, both of which have that model down, I just, I don't know if the week to week is going to do it, at least not for me, Uh, but different strokes. And Jess, you already talked about how you feel like the series is going to diverge, but I also feel like there is a little bit of a risk with something like a, that, that has source material that exists if somebody's sitting around waiting for episodes and just wants to find out how the story ends up, there's a little bit more of a chance that somebody's just going to, you know, pile in there without episodes to watch and get spoiled. And I think that that is uh, something to consider. Although, you know, under the dome was a Stephen King source kind of thing that they diverged from the source. Of course, uh, the movie, the shining is very different than the book, the shining, and they made a TV series out of it. So it seems like with Stephen King, the adaptations don't always stay true. 
But I, I got to think that there is some risk of that, that if people are sitting around waiting, what's to stop them from just jumping onto Wikipedia and reading the whole synopsis? Oh, you right. mean kind of like I did with the Walking Dead comics? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just like that, yeah. Hence the Walking Dead book club. I exactly. The, I love yeah. the Walking Dead book club, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. It's, I'm waiting for all the episodes to be on Wikipedia, and then I'm just going to read the Wikipedia page. And you're going to listen to the podcast? Yeah. yeah. The synopsis. Yeah, that's going to be good. Uh, Antonio, can you set us up for what we're getting into here with the show? We've got the basic premise down in terms of time travel and Kennedy and everything. What do we see unfold here in this first episode? Uh, James Franco's a guy who doesn't have much going on in his life. Uh, he's not very happy with himself. He's kind of a adult education, high school type teacher. Uh, he's you know, unhappy in love. He's the kind of guy that, you know, would be willing to drop everything and go back in time when it comes right down to it. Uh, and he's propositioned by Chris Cooper, a guy who owns a local diner there. Uh, who, Sweet 60s meats. Yeah, who disappears for two minutes and then comes back looking like death warmed over, uh, looking really awful. And this, is, this really is irking James Franco. So he figures out, ultimately, Chris Cooper reveals what's going on and tries to set James Franco up for this whole premise that if you, if you keep Kennedy alive, it, it changes the context of history. That... Vietnam wouldn't have happened the way it did, that Bobby Kennedy wouldn't have gotten killed, uh, that people would have been much happier, the world would have been a better place. Therefore, because you have the ability to time travel to a very specific place in time, you need to use that ability to save Kennedy. And ultimately, we see James Franco reluctantly, perhaps, accepting this mission in this episode. And we see that begin to play out, how, how he will be impacted, as Jess put it, by the way the past kind of pushes back against that and that seems to be the emerging theme uh, throughout the course of the first episode. Can we talk about that, about how quickly James Franco agrees to go on this mission? Because yes. I feel like that, like if my local diner owner <laughs> asked me to go on like some like three year mission and change history, I'm not sure if I'd be so quick to jump to it. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that you could, like, if you really wanted to pull on some of these threads, like, just the, the speed with which he decides to do this is pretty questionable. You know, he feels bad, like, he's had this conversation, he stays up all night with Chris Cooper's character, talking about why they should be doing this, and then Chris Cooper, you know, he's mean to him, and the next morning, he shows up, Chris Cooper is dead, and he's like, alright, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> Yeah. Rather than like taking a week to prepare or a couple of months to get in shape or to, you know, like get your supplies or pack some things, he just really rolls in right from that to the past. But uh, it has no consequences. Everything goes perfectly smoothly for him as soon as he goes back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is something that's kind of, it's another one of those things that's, you know, if you've read the book, it fleshes it out a little bit more. Like he has to go right then. He has to make that decision because the diner is closing and getting torn down. And I mean, in the book, it's being replaced by an LL Bean outlet. Um, oh. But you know, he's got to do it. Yeah, man, he's got to do it Bane. then, or he never does it. Um, yeah. Although I mean, he's got theoretically just about infinite time. Like, what's going to stop him from going back to 1960 and, like, just get in a hotel room and sitting there and thinking about it even longer? Oh. Like, that's what I do. I just exploit the time loophole until I decided what I really wanted to do. Well, Jess, you and I were talking about this a little tiny bit before we were recording um, The Walking Dead Book Club earlier this week. And I, I posited the idea that, you know, James Franco, he goes back in time, he buys the sweet car, he needs to make some money fast, so he goes and makes a big bet 
on a, on a, on a big sports ball game. And he comes away with like almost 4,000 bucks from it. And he's about to get his butt kicked because of it. And he's able to, you know, hightail it out of Dodge at that point. I feel like you just need to relive that night several, several times over. And then you can now do like your whole JFK investigation thing with so much money in your pocket. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, although it is sports fist, not sports ball. Yeah, sports yeah come on, Joe. No ball in boxing. <laughs> no. They don't they don't use balls in boxing? Well, mm-hmm. not, not supposed at, to. It's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's out of bounds, Josh. Right. Yeah. Well, regardless, the sports fist game. I feel like that you just keep going back and you want to bet on the sports fist game. Yeah, and you go back right away. Like you come back to the present so that the Instantly. thugs don't break your legs. Yeah. Yes, you, you leave the, you leave the bet. You go back through that, you know, sort of, I don't know how to explain how he knows to go back through the rabbit hole. It just seems to be like arbitrary, empty space. You yes. go back, you go back through there and now you have all this money and then you immediately go back and relive that day. Yeah. I feel, I like, you're dis- yeah, I feel like you're dispensing with the return method. Very, uh, very offhandedly there, Josh. He, to get back into modern times, he does what? He just steps into weird space that he emerged yes. from? Yeah, that made no sense to me in terms None. of how he returns. What, Jess, how does it happen in the book? Uh, in the book, he does step into random empty space, but then he realizes that he needs to be able to find that exact spot again. So he gets like a particular rock and marks his place there so he knows where to go. Oh, man, that's going to be tough. Do any strangers yeah. ever happen to stumble into that random empty space and end up in the storage locker in the diner? It doesn't seem like they ever do. Um, it's a little bit more of a remote place in the book. It's kind of closed off and there's a big sign that says, you know, employees only or something like that. Yeah. Instead of like a street where any car could just drive into the <laughs> vortex, you mean like and just a pop out of the closet and break the diner down? Yeah. yeah, you know, Al has to replace more diners that way. It's really rough. <laughs> but you could just see, like, the you're not supposed to be here guy just, like, wandering through that space. Being, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> How did I get here? You know, maybe he was, uh, maybe he worked for Al at some point, and um, Al called him in on his day off, and he showed up, and he's like, I'm not even supposed to be here. He goes, I'm really- <laughs> nice, I like that. He was just a clerk at the diner, you mean? Exactly, he was just a clerk. <laughs> I like it. But it's good. I mean, I I feel like that's the kind of thing that you can you can imagine how Stephen King describes that in the writing, you know, sort of this empty space that you kind of have to travel through. And I'm not so sure how that translates on TV. It's just so strange to see James Franco just like mad dashing towards absolutely nothing and then emerging from a closet. Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> you just described the last seven years of his career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which career? He has so many. Um, yeah so i don't know rob what would you do with that first day of time travel well going back to what you were saying yeah i really feel like that he should have pushed the reset button on a lot of things where chris cooper and i'm not even sure how they like they like flash back to like when chris cooper was like telling him all these things that he needed to be doing i didn't really understand that timeline either where it's like chris cooper told him he had to go then James Franco said no. Chris Cooper got mad, and then Chris Cooper died. But yet we flash back to all the times when they were like planning this trip together, which yeah. I don't really know how that was canon. But you know, he, Chris Cooper told him, "Okay, keep a low profile. Don't get a flashy car. You know, don't like, get people pissed off." And James Franco does like the opposite of everything Chris Cooper told him to do. Yes. I don't know why James Franco didn't go back after the first night. Like, okay, all right, let me try this again. I totally screwed it up. On yeah, the first I came day. in hot. I came in came real in hot. hot. Yeah. 
do over. Let me just get a mulligan on this whole first and, day. You know, once again, in the book, he does do that. Like Chris <laughs> Cooper stands there in the kitchen while he goes back a couple of times and like stays for a month or two and comes back and he's like, well, I know what I did wrong that time. And he keeps going back and forth. And that makes a lot more sense to me. It's like, why don't you mess with the timeline a little bit? Come back and see what it does. And it just seems like he went straight for the jugular on this one. Like, I'm just going to drive straight to Dallas when I get there. <laughs> he just does things, you know? He's a, he's a doer, he's a, not a thing. He's a doer. Yeah. Um, how is the character of Jake on the show, James Franco's character, different from the character in the books? He's not as headstrong in the books, it sounds like. Not really, no. But he's also a lot less interesting on the show, I think. Like, he's such an empty vessel, I feel like, so far. It's just like... Oh, look, it's James Franco, and he's a dude, and he has a job, and now he's going back in time. And Jake in the books is much more fleshed out. Like, he has, you know, all of the things that happened in his life that got him to that point. And granted, that's hard to show on television. But, you know, he's not a burned-out teacher. He's actually kind of good at his job, and he, you know, he has friends, and he has, like, he has interests and hobbies, and this guy is just basically like, oh, I'm going to get some different clothes, and I'm going to drive this nice car. And it's, I don't, I don't have any compelling reason to really like, you know, to really like him, to feel for him, to really want him to succeed at whatever he's doing at this point. So I hope that improves over time. Do you think that's a problem with the writing of the character or is it the Franco factor? Like Antonio, for you, were you distracted by James Franco being this guy? I think that that's a definite thing with James Franco, just generally with a lot of people, certainly with me and a bunch of roles. Was it, was it weird to have Franco as this character? Do you think this character would have been better if someone not so recognizable was playing him? No, I mean, I didn't think so. I honestly wasn't distracted by it. I think that most of the weaknesses of the character owe to the writing than more than the, the performance itself. I think Franco is fine. I don't, I, I like Franco in times when he's kind of comedic and silly. I, for example, I really like him in pineapple express. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not the biggest James Franco fan as an actor. I think he has strengths and weaknesses, but I don't feel like any of his weaknesses really uh, detract from the, the show here. But for me personally, I could see where others, might have that drawback when they're looking at James Franco and thinking too much about it being James Franco. I think all the problems I have with the character owe to the writing and probably to the fact that this is a limited engagement, like eight episode miniseries more than anything. I just, I question the character's decisions almost uh, like unilaterally throughout this whole episode. Throwing his iPhone away was the most ridiculous to me, but there's plenty of other ones that don't make any sense to me whatsoever in terms of his decision-making. The iPhone literally saves his life, and the next morning he's so angry at it, he throws it into the river. I don't get it. I feel like there could have been a lot more done with that. It just A lot of the things this guy's doing does, don't make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, is it possible that Jake was having some sort of a protest against the Apple and Apple devices about the... Uh, use of it in ongoing uh, criminal investigations? Possible. He's FBI, CIA, all these three-letter agencies and their encryption. I just want to, I want to rage Protesting. against the machine. Like, Taking a yeah, stand. Like, almost, like, yeah, almost like throwing a hammer into the 1984 screen. Uh, in the <laughs> he's throwing yeah. the iPhone into the water. But he's, he's fully embracing the past. I mean, oh, maybe, so but I'm not buying it. Not buying yeah. it. I just, a lot of the things this guy's doing don't make any sense to me, but I don't think he's doing them because he's James Franco, for crying out loud. 
Well, I think that one of the one of the reasons why I really did like the character and some of the you know some of the weirdness that we've already talked about with like why don't you just hit the reset button? Why did you just go to the past with the clothes on your back and you really didn't think that through at all? Um, I think that one of the things that I like is I feel like he's just kind of like a headstrong dope. Like, yeah, he's well read. He's a charming guy, but he seems to be like a little bit of a doofus. Yeah, he's yeah. also kind of phoning it in too. No, he I got rid of the phone. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's a metaphor for his acting style because he really felt kind of bored this whole first installment it was just like oh these are my lines i'm going to say my lines and for someone who was so affected by the novel when he read it that he went on to vice and wrote this long essay about how angry he was that jj abrams had beat him to optioning it and then and that's how he got cast it seems like Franco would have a little bit more passion. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I didn't know that backstory. Yeah, you should see the documentary he shot about the making of. There's so much passion in that. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. He didn't do that. But <laughs> it seems likely that this kind of thing that he would do, like, I don't know where James Franco finds his passion, but I don't often see that he finds it in acting. But I do agree that this sort of dopey performance uh, does fit with the decisions that the character is making. I, I always like when he's engaging in conversation with people from the past and just brazenly talking about things that they would not know about and not even thinking about it, not even checking himself. Like, what is this guy's problem? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the Franco phone. Maybe and he was like, th- when he brought up the Manchurian candidate, you know, he was thinking about like the Leah Schreiber one with Denzel Washington. <laughs> so he's like, oh, that one's so good. Yeah. yeah. Denzel, you're going to love him. Yeah, you guys aren't ready for him. <laughs> He's definitely a, definitely a goof. Um, what are some of the other big ways that this is different from the book? Because, Jess, I know that you, you're you a big fan of the book and you, you kind of feel like um, some of the departures that the show is making are not necessarily great. Well, I think the biggest one for me and the one that I, I feel like is most questionable is that the book is really... It is, at its heart, it is a time travel story, and it goes very deeply into, like, fate versus free will, and, you know, should you be messing with the past, and, you know, it's kind of a love letter to the era, but it also talks about, like, the complicated, you know, relationship that the guy from the present has with the past, and and a lot about, you know, upsetting the timeline, and it seems like, to me, the JFK thing is just a hook to hang it all on. Yeah. And the miniseries so far is like, it's like veering to Oliver Stone territory. In the book, they have one throwaway line that says, you know, Chris Cooper's character says, I am 95% sure Oswald acted alone. I need you to get to the 98% sure and then take him out. And here in the miniseries, it's like, well, he took all these meticulous notes. He might be 95% sure, but oh, right. Then you lost all your freaking notes and now you have to do it all yourself. And, it's going to be, it, I feel like already it's a lot more, you know, who is Oswald? Is the CIA involved? And that stuff, like I, it always bored me. I was always, I was one of those weird kids that had my own copy of the Warren Report. So I definitely had the face. One of those. Me too, Jess. Me, me yeah. too, Jess. What a me cliche. I, <laughs> I had a coworker, I worked for a reference publisher for about seven years and I had a coworker there and she and I got talking one day and she said, yeah, when I was nine, I had this club where we would sit around and talk about the Kennedy assassination. And I was like, oh my God, me too. But it was mostly just me with my giant <laughs> the Warren report. Um, 
so, so you went to Alice Diner and went through the door and joined that club. Yes, I did. Um, it, no, it, it is one of those things, like, I can see where people get really into it. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet you guys really should never look at. Um, for I'll instance, the, you know, Zap Ruder film, it goes on a bit longer than the TV networks ever show. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. But I feel like that is a different kind of story that you're telling when you start to get into the conspiracies and, like, the political side of things. And as the book goes on, Oswald becomes a character and you do learn a lot about his motivations and, but it never veers from the idea that it was really just him and his cracked out political ideas. And it had nothing to do with the CIA and already we've gone to that. Well, and I did not like that at all. Yeah. Um, Rob, are you liking the conspiracy thriller angle of this or are you more interested in the time travel stuff? You know, I have to say that in watching about the 85, 90 minute premiere, I would have to say that I feel like that I was probably most interested in like the second half hour where I felt like the first half hour of the setup was kind of slow. And then I really liked it once he first went back to 1960. And then I felt like that third half hour of when he's going to the Mexican restaurant and is really trying to get close to eavesdropping on the table and sort of like setting up operations in Dallas. I felt like that was the probably least interesting part of it. So I'd have to say in my own sort of autopsy uh, of Warren report of uh, 11, I feel like that probably it's not as interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, you, you talked about it a little bit, sort of like the back to the future type of element is so much more fun, you know? And I feel like that really suits a guy like Franco where he can really have a lot of fun with butterfly effect and, you know, making biffs left and right, you know, like making making enemies here and there, just like screwing things up with betting and like that stuff. You know, that first, um, you know, the, the big long sequence where he is in 1960s Maine was by far and away for me the most compelling stuff in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I completely and I feel like there's a lot more um, there's a lot more to do there, whether it's not you know, when it's not just a political thriller. I feel like there's a lot more kind of to play on, I think, especially in the, the 1960s Maine, uh, comparing that to kind of modern, you know, Main Street kind of things and meeting people that he knew uh, as children was interesting that the principal uh, seeing that those sorts of things. I feel like there's a lot more fun there. Uh, it seems like he's headed back there. And, and I don't know, is he, is he intending to go back to the present? So I am a little intrigued. I agree with Rob that the, the third half hour was sort of the, the, the half hour that didn't play as well to me. Uh, I know he's you know going on this detour in Kentucky, and it seems pretty clear what he intends to do there. Uh, but I am interested to see him kind of go back to the present and then maybe go back to the past again and this kind of jumping back and forth. And if there is any of that, uh, what the impact is. Because I, I think that that's the, the kind of story they're setting up, that uh, the, the decisions you make have consequences. Uh, and I, I feel like that's where I'm finding the most intrigue is what are the consequences of, of, of any little things that he's done? Are, are, is there going to be a butterfly effect? And then more to the point, like, is there going to be a greater consequence uh, for anything he may continue to do before he jumps back? And I think I'm, I am intrigued by that for sure. Can I also throw something else out there? Jess, why don't they just go back to 1960, kill Lee Harvey Oswald, and then come back and then see if Kennedy got assassinated? Yeah, that's the biggest one that... Um that's the biggest plot hole that people keep pointing out. And one of the reasons that they don't do this is because in 1960, and this is going to get so God awful nerdy and I'm so sorry. 
Um, Lee Harvey Oswald is not in the country in 1960. He is, I believe he's in Russia. He's serving in the military and he meets his wife and she is Russian. They get married and he doesn't actually arrive in the United States until 1962. So you can't really do anything with that at mm. that point. Um, you have to wait until he shows up. You know, you have to be in the right place at the right time to get at him. And what happens if you, you know, you can't just like walk up to him in broad daylight with everybody around and like shoot him and expect you're going to get back to your time portal in time to go see if that worked. So I think those are kind of the two big obstacles. One, he's not accessible at the moment. And two, once he is accessible, you have to find the right opportunity and hope that you can get all the way back to your time portal to see if your work paid off. Okay. That's why you got to like hire a team. You got to bring a squad back with you. It's not enough to have one James Franco. You need like the whole Freaks and Geeks cast. and You need to go back there and you need to devise some crazy plan that requires like a ton of people. And then when it's done... You just have like Sam Weir is still parked back at the diner and he just goes through as soon as he hears <laughs> on the radio. Yeah. Oh my God. That's like now we've got Ocean's Eleven, Freaks and Geeks, and Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three like all mashed up. That is something I want to see. Ocean's That'd Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's the move. I think that you need to go back and you need to have a bunch of different people and you need like them all to have very specific roles. I mean, like what types of people do you want? Obviously, you've got, you know, the George Clooney who's going to lead the way. Um, you need the demolitions guy. Yeah. You, you, need need a, you need a little Asian guy who can do, uh, you know, just small spaces. Uh, Soleil tricks, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And you need some you need some Mormons to drive the car. That would be important. You need Julia Roberts. Right, to play Julia Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> Although, there is one flaw with this. And this is something I don't think they're really clear about on the show. But every time you go through that portal, it resets. Right. So, what happens if you go through that portal and then someone else goes through that portal? What happens to you? Multiple timelines. Yeah. And you never quite meet up. Like, you'd all have to go through it exactly the same time, right? Yeah. And yeah. even then, can you guarantee that that's instantaneous right could those Brain people hurts. even go back through the door if if uh somebody's already gone through or are right. they now stuck in the past uh, i don't want to watch the show anymore maybe you have to act alone like maybe that's one of the rules and that's something that's never been mentioned but i this is something that just occurred to me like i don't think you can bring a team otherwise i think chris cooper would have just been like hey i gotta show you something come with me I do want to point out one thing that the um, the original Ocean's Eleven was released August tenth, nineteen sixty. Ooh, wow! Go see that in the theater in Cinemascope. Yep, <laughs> this is what we need to do. Right. <laughs> well, maybe then he goes back, and he's the only one, and his Ocean's Eleven squad are people from the sixties that he can convince that he's from the future, and you got to help me do this awesome thing. Well, in a matter of speaking, that sort of happens, I guess. I don't want to give anything away, but he does eventually come clean to somebody. Okay, interesting. Why doesn't he track down young Chris Cooper? Right. Oh, well, young Chris Cooper is like five years old in this timeline. Right. Well, oh. five-year-olds can help. He just looked ancient then in the future. Just ancient. Yeah, I mean... Well, he's been spending so much time in the 1960s, so he's really only like 45 years old or something like that. <laughs> My math is off a little bit, but you get the idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're living in a world now where the time between um, the original Back to the Future and now is exactly the same as the time in the original Back to the Future and the past that Marty goes back to. So. Yeah, I know. Ugh. Oh, that's depressing. Tell me about it. It's so yeah. depressing. 
Let's not let's not spend too much time on that. Um, can we talk about Chris Cooper? Because I think that he's terrific, and I'm really sad that he's he's dead on the show in the first episode. But are we supposed to assume that we're just going to keep getting Chris Cooper flashbacks, or was it just a done in one? You think we got to get some voiceovers from him because there's a lot he hasn't explained yet. And once we save Kennedy, then Chris Cooper won't be so obsessed with going back and trying to save Kennedy, and so he will have. A lot more longevity when uh, James Franco returns to the present. Or longevity, he's going to have more more burgers to sell. Yeah. Well, he's going to have to price them a little bit higher at that yeah. point. Yeah. I would eat the 60s burgers. They sound really good. Well, that's the thing. Like, everything in the past tastes much better. Why is that? Lard? Because, yeah, well, lard. And they're not made of corn. Like, everything from, like, the late 70s to the present is mostly made of corn. So hmm. it doesn't taste as good. James Franco is actually eating corn in 1960. How does that taste different? It probably tastes even cornier. Yeah, like pure <laughs> corn. Well, one of the things that I loved in the um, Outlander books is, you know, she goes back to the 1740s from the 1940s. And the thing that she says is that everything you eat in the past is either the best thing you've ever tasted or the worst thing you've ever tasted. Hmm. Because it's either insanely fresh or kind of off. You like that apple pie, so I think he's he's that batting was the, that, right. Yeah, that was the lard for sure. There's no yeah. doubt about it in my mind. I, I, if I went back in time, I probably wouldn't even try to change the timeline. I'd just go out to eat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just be sampling cuisines. Totally. Lots of lots of main diner food. Josh, what do, you, what do you think pizza was like in 1960? I don't think it would be as good as it is today. Pizza's like no. at the height of its game right now. Top-level pizza right now. Yeah, we're at peak pizza. Yeah, we're we're at peak pizza right now. Um, what's up with uh, with Benny from the Mummy and why he's always uh, appearing places and telling James Franco he's not supposed to be here? Do we have an explanation for that, or is he just sort of going to be like the mysterious Stephen King character on the show right now? Um, he is the mysterious Stephen King character on the show, and that's all I'm going to say. Okay, are you intrigued like- by this guy, Rob? Uh, certainly. I mean, he does seem like that he knows what's going on, although we do see many characters in the show say to James Franco, you're not supposed to be here. So I feel like that it was one thing that he was the only person. But when er- almost every single person he runs into is saying to him, you're not supposed to be here. then I feel like it sort of loses a little bit of the mystery. Yeah, I yeah. think that's that's fair. Yeah, I can't tell if that's, you know, if it's just, you know, sort of thematically, like it's just everybody like kind of echoing back this thing that James Franco is already contemplating back and forth in his mind. Like, I shouldn't be here. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. Or is it the past fighting back already? Like, is it just, you know, the past telling him that you got to get the hell out of here? Um, I like that element of the show. The, The sequence with the car barreling through the phone booth, I thought was one of the coolest parts of the episode. Yeah, me too, for sure. And I, I don't know that you need like a time lord or somebody that's sort of a watcher or something like that. I mean, I don't know that that's what this yellow card hat guy is or not. But um, there seems to be some there seems to be some kind of time lord or uh, he, he he seems to know what's up. Let's put it that way. And I don't know if he's monitoring, making sure the past should be preserved or uh, or what his deal is. But he's he's there waiting by the portal. It seems. Uh, when people emerge. And even though he looks like a wino, he does seem to know what's up. Uh, and the past is definitely pushing back. And that scene with the phone booth is, I think is a great one because why does James Franco try to call his dad? That seems like a really stupid thing to do because he's kind of bad at this, you know, well, I think really that's the blanket answer. He's like bad, at really this. bad at it. And what's he going to say is- to his dad when he calls him? It's me. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's your, this is your son that is not even contemplated by you at this current Yeah, moment. and he's like, what are you talking about? I'm five. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the, I mean, I guess this is what you get when you need somebody to save the world and you pick just a random dude who is sitting in a diner in Maine. But this is just, a, it doesn't, it's not voting. Yeah, Frank, Franco's not, he's not playing well so far. He's just not doing a, uh, this guy, this character is just not really up to the task yet. He's got to find a, an ally here. Yeah, yeah. I think he he needs a friend. He maybe he just needs to go home. But I feel like that would be a boring show if it's just now he's back in Maine and he's just like not doing anything. <laughs> what might have been? Uh, yeah. What might what might have been if I had stayed? But he he does take this detour at the end of the episode. He decides like to throw his hands up in the air and be like, "I'm done. I'm not doing the JFK thing anymore. I'm just going to go back." But he thinks that he can help out his student. You know, his student who opens up the episode and talks about his horrific Halloween night where his whole family got killed except for him by his abusive dad. And James Franco is on the trail of this guy by the end of the episode. So I kind of like where this could possibly be going. I feel like this might be the better direction for the show rather than going all in on the conspiracy thrillers. But, you know, using kind of leaning, leaning instead on a time travel story that has some horror elements, like some true horror elements, but a lot more opportunity to really mess with the timeline in kind of a, a more personal way than, um, than what we could be getting into with the JFK thing. So, Antonio, are you pumped about the Kentucky storyline? I am. You know I love Kentucky. But I, I also really like these kind of, uh, I don't know, Jess is collecting the Warren Report, as was I, but I also spent a lot of time as a kid thinking, what if X didn't happen? You know, what if... Uh, what if this person wasn't killed or what if this person wasn't elected or what if this went that way? And I still think about those sorts of things like uh, these forks in the road that could change uh, the course of history that are small things, but could end up being large things or that are large things uh, that could, that could really change the context of things. So I find it interesting that the characters that, that Franco sort of just embraced the idea that saving Kennedy might be a good idea because who knows if that's actually true, who knows where we would end up uh, if, if, you know, if Kennedy weren't killed when he was, uh, would we have seen the Civil Rights Act get signed the way we saw it get signed and the pressure that came with that? Would we have seen people be as upset about the things? Would we have seen the upheaval we saw? And if that doesn't happen, what does that mean for, uh, you know, a time that Franco returns to uh, where that hasn't happened? Why do we just assume that it would be better? Uh, and so I'm, I'm a little fascinated by that on the large scale level. But on a small scale level as well, I think we're in, in, large, uh, in large ways defined by the things that have happened to us, in, in, especially with adversity. Uh, and a lot of times adversity makes us stronger or better. And so we would say, I don't wish such and such hadn't happened. But if we really thought about it, the fact that adversity did happen to us might have been good for us. So I think it's fascinating to see that play out on the personal level, too, as well as the bigger level. Yeah, well, that just that all reminds me of possibly one of the greatest time travel stories that has ever been told. Um, the City on the Edge of Forever, which I hope one of you guys has seen this. The Star it's, Trek episode? Yes, 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 the Star Trek episode, um, where it is very much like Kirk meets this wonderful woman who's got all these great ideas. And it turns out that if he saves her life and she doesn't die, a lot of really bad stuff happens. And so it is it is a very interesting point that I always love to see explored from any angle. Antonio, what moment in your life would you go back and change? If you think about this all the time, you must have an answer. To this. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I, don't. I try to, th- I try to think about changing any moments. That's my whole point, starting scream it? Queens, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, the restarting, restart, <laughs> restarting. 
No, I, I, that's the whole point. I think you can think about all the things that have happened to you negatively and choose to be defined that way, or you can choose to say that thing happened to me, and I'm going to make I make a positive out of it. And I think that you're you live a better life if you don't regret things and wish you could change them, and instead choose to look at them uh, in the ways that they generated positive things for you. So I really, I mean, I'm being a little serious here, but there isn't a moment like that besides restarting Scream Queens. <laughs> that's a big one, though. <laughs> Can I ask what was going on with the cockroaches? What was that scene about? Oh, yeah, that was gross. <laughs> that was not in the book. That was just gross. That was just the cockroaches way of saying you're not supposed to be here. It's yeah. like, I guess. Where'd they all like, come from? Uh, Texas. They were at a Mexican restaurant, right? No, that was a different scene. Oh, yeah. Different scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, Got cucarachas. I think this is basically like this series equivalent of the blood coming out of the elevator doors in The Shining. Yeah. Like, let's do something scary and gross that, you know, Stephen King probably thought was a little over the top, but we'll just throw it in there because you need something scary and gross. Otherwise, people aren't going to forget it, Stephen King. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. It's just been a, a bad week for uh, bugs on TV. I was really thankful they weren't spiders. Let's just put it that way. That <laughs> yeah, you hate spiders. Way worse. Way worse. It would have been way worse. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go in anybody's ears, so I'm good with that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Keep them out of the ears. Uh, but overall, Rob, you like this show. You're going to keep watching weekly. Yeah, I do like the show. I'm looking forward to watching it each week as it comes out. But my big question is, is this one and done? Is this eight episodes and are they going to get to the end of the book? Or is this something that's going to go on and have like two or three seasons on Hulu? Do you guys know? Uh, I don't I, I think it's just the eight. Yeah, I'm under the impression that it's just the eight. But, you know, they did that with Under the Dome and they yeah. made a whole series out of something where they basically got through the entire book in three quarters of the first season. But that was terrible and everyone hated it. So I'm pretty sure they wouldn't go down that road again. But who's they? I mean, other than Stephen King, I mean, who is the it's not the same people. Yeah, no, it's not the same people, but it is people that I hope would have looked at the, you know, hundred or so Stephen King adaptations floating around out there and decided, well, I'm going to try to go for something that's a little bit more Shawshank Redemption or, you know, stand miniseries and a little bit less um, Stephen King involved shining miniseries. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think if these people had a diner uh, closet, they would have gone back and stopped under the dome from happening. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, that might be my first stop. <laughs> yeah, that would be your moment, Antonio. That would now, now come to think of it, Rob. That would be my moment. <laughs> I'm I watched like the f- season and a half of Under the Dome, and I I know you watched a little Under the Dome. I regretted it significantly. <laughs> you got about nine episodes further than I did. Like I was three quarters of the way through the first episode. I'm like, nope. Yeah, I think but I made my it life is too. Not, yeah, my life is not better for that adversity. I should say. <laughs> I started calling it Under the Dome, and I kept watching it. So <laughs> yeah, my I, my favorite <laughs> thing was um. Not to recommend rival podcasts here, but the previously not TV podcast, Extra Hot Great, it had a weekly segment about Under the Dome for the entire run of the series because uh, poor Tara Ariano, who is my editor over there, had signed on to cover it and she was stuck covering it for the entire (laughs) run of the series and her slow descent into madness um, (laughs) over the course of this terrible series was really a delight to listen to. Yeah, so the, I just I think when it's not the same people, but lessons have to be learned. I mean, yeah. I think that the the idea is that they're promoting this as a limited engagement. Uh, I really think that it's all it's only going to be a limit. I can't imagine James Franco 
is right. making this series every year. I think that's the big one. Yeah. There. You can so see him just, signing on for a season, but you can't really see him doing much more than that. Yeah, and how terrible would this sequel be like, oh, look, he found a new time portal and it goes to someplace different. Let's see what yes. he's going to prevent now. Must kill Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> I read it in the Times. Prevent the Black Hand from Archduke Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds I don't like know. A good show. I would watch. I'm that. just saying. Yeah, no, it doesn't. That's the whole point. Yeah. Like I, I, it, the next installment's called like twelve seven forty one. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They just keep changing the date. <laughs> yeah. The Very Kennedy thing. Show. The Kennedy thing is the thing, and I think that that you know it's a mystery. Like I, it's funny. We used to sit around. I, I had a really boring job at one point. Uh, just at one point, though. Not every job I've ever had lies. Uh, we had a really boring <laughs> job at one point. Wow. And we used to sit around and say, well, if you, you know, when you die, what's the first question you're going to ask God if you get a question? And I was like, who killed Kennedy? Everybody wants to was know. Was your job on Inside the Actors Studio? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. I, I carried tea for, I was a chaiwala for James Lipton. Uh, he didn't like Lipton tea, though, which was really weird. Um, but yeah, no, we just use that. That's a question people want answered. We want to know uh, the story behind that. It is a burning question in society. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to outlive the people that are going to die to get some of this stuff released that's still uh, not released. But I, I think there's some fascination there. I'm sure that's why when it comes to like the idea of changing the past and whether you should or shouldn't do it, why Stephen King latched on to this specific incident. Uh, it is something that's fascinating. People of a certain age remember where they were when they heard it. It's a major, major landmark thing that happened. So um, I think this is something that that's fascinating. I don't think there are too many things like this. Uh, especially in our history in America, where you could say, uh, prevent what from happening? I mean, maybe in 30 years they make 9, 10, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe they make the, the pre-9-11 thing. But right. uh, I think in, for now, this is this is the one. And I think it makes sense to have this incident. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it, it puts the it has the groundwork for, you know, a pretty compelling story. And I really did like this first episode. A lot. I think that it's compelling. I'm excited to see where it goes. I wish I could just watch them all right now. Would be nice. Uh, yeah, but, you know, you, you mentioned know, that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would it would be good. That's really my only thing. Uh, beyond that, I'm really I'm really enjoying the show. Anyone else got thoughts on this one before we close out? I have a couple of thoughts on other things. <laughs> OK, let's hear them. <laughs> we, uh, we, that, we can get that far out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to hear these other thoughts. Yeah. On other things. Can I give one quick recommendation for something else that's on Hulu right now, which you can watch the entire limited one episode engagement, and that is the Triumph, the Insult Comic Dogs election special for 2016, which is about 90 minutes, about the same runtime as this, but it's very, very fun and uh, is very topical right now that Robert Smigel was out in Iowa talking with a lot of the different presidential nominees or people, the candidates uh, to try to become president. And it's a, a very funny special on Hulu. I, uh, I think I saw it was uh, Alan Sepinwall who tweeted that every other TV show in 2016 is now competing for second place uh, <laughs> behind this triumph special. Yes, it was very, very funny. And uh, in a sidebar, I had a dream the other day that Ted Cruz was at my house and I was just asking him about what it was like when Triumph the Insult Comic Dog was trying to get his attention. <laughs> that's your pressing question for Ted Cruz. Yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to know. Like, was it, like, what were you thinking when the Insult Comic Dog was talking to you? <laughs> Rob, your dreams. I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> what else was Ted 
What else was Ted Cruz doing there? Was he just hanging out with uh, with the fam? <laughs> yeah, he was visiting. He needs uh, to get coached up for Survivor. Yes. And then also, Josh, I wanted to get your take. I know that you and Kevin Mahadeo talked about Deadpool this week on the podcast. What do you think about the campaign to get Deadpool to host SNL? Well, it's interesting. First off, I think it's a great idea. Uh, Deadpool as a character being the host of Saturday Night Live is a thing that I would very much like to put my eyeballs on. That just sounds very, very fun. Uh, But Deadpool has turned it down. Did you see this? (laughs) No, I did not. Deadpool issued a, issued a video, which is a recording of the time that he had been courted to uh, host SNL back in the 90s. Uh, and he released the audio of a phone call that he issued to Lorne Michaels, where he told Lorne Michaels to F himself. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't Kanye? I don't think it's Kanye. Wow. I don't think it's Kanye. I think it's, it's Deadye. <laughs> Uh, Thankfully, they had Tom Hanks and uh, at the you know ready to to step right in for Deadpool. Then exactly, exactly. So they had Tom Hanks on hand, and Deadpool was fine. So Deadpool and SNL, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. I think it's a great idea. I think it's hilarious, uh, and I think that that would be a very special episode of SNL. Has there been a like a fictional character to host SNL? Like a, I'm thinking of Kermit. There's yeah. a push. To get the Muppets and all that. I believe Pee Wee Herman hosted, and I don't think it was Paul Rubens in the 80s. So I think that that would probably be the example. Um, while, we're, while we're talking TV news, I'm not, I'm not a guy who's watched much of this show, but you both have been um, really singing its praises forever. Review. Review is coming to an end. Have you heard this? Do you have a eulogy for Review. Well, it sounds like they're going to do, I think, either some sort of a special or a three-episode arc of a review. That's the Andy Daly Comedy Central show. And it is uh, very critically acclaimed, ironically, or I guess not ironically, for a show called Review. But it is uh, not a hit with audiences. But the story of season two ended on a big cliffhanger. And they are going to, I guess, wrap up that story. Are you pumped up for this, Antonio? Yeah, I am. And I'm, I'm glad Andy Daly is getting the opportunity to kind of end his show. He's taking pilot opportunities with networks uh, for comedy pilots. He deserves a bigger stage. Uh, and I think that he'll, you know, I think hopefully he'll find some success there. Uh, and I think that that's in no small part due to the fact that Review looks to be wrapping up. But I think that he's got uh, he's got a landing spot. So it's good for Andy Daly to have somewhere to, to kind of hang his hat after this. And it's nice that the character and the show are going to get a wrap up. Uh, I I think the Australian series that it's based on only ran a couple of seasons as well. So I think that there is a limited engagement for this sort of thing for a show where the stakes of the show really play out yeah. in the context <laughs> of the character's life. There isn't much farther they could take. It. No. So it makes sense to end it. Yeah. There's, I mean, once you once you have somebody, well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched, but once you have somebody do some of the things <laughs> that Forrest McNeil has experienced, there. You can't go much further than yeah. that. <laughs> he could use a time portal, Forrest McNeil. He really could. Yeah, he really could go back and, and just re- reassess some things. He's somebody who I think can look at the decisions he's made with some regret, for sure. <laughs> well, I will, I will be very happily watching that whole show when that final season's about to come out, because I want to I wanna be a part of that. That sounds really fun. Very fun. Uh, did you know that the name of his show, Antonio, that he's going to be on, Andy Daly, is Chunkin' Bean? <laughs> Have you heard no, this? I hadn't heard that. I, I oh. feel a little. I feel a little less enthused about yeah, it. ABC Family. Yeah, 
Oh boy. I think it's just straight up ABC. It's just ABC Family doesn't exist anymore. They have a new name. I don't know it's what the Discovery name is. Discovery Family. No, wait, that's the hub. It's Discovery Family. It's called Freeform. That's ABC what it is. Family. Yeah, ABC Family Freeformed into Freeform. Oh, you know what? I think I I misread the headline that it's an it's ABC's family comedy. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's called called Chunk and Bean, and he is going to be playing someone who is married to Skyler from Breaking Bad. Which one is Chunk and which one's Bean? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. We'll have to tune in. We'll have to so see. That, that alone is intriguing enough for me to tune into the pilot. All I was right, kind of so. hoping for like a series called Chunk and Bean should really be Chunk from the Goonies and Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> That'd wow. be good. I would watch that. Yeah, oh Chunk God. from the Goonies grew up to be like a hot lawyer. Yeah, he's he's very influential in the entertainment world. Yeah, let's kickstart that. One. Yeah. Now that right. would be slash fiction, right, Josh? I I think that would be yeah, yeah got it I think you got it right this time. Well, are they having sex in it? Because then it is slash fiction. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're definitely having sex in it. I mean, why? Why else are you making the show? You're God. right. That was a silly question. Get oh, to the diner. Right. Go through the door. Let's go back and edit this part out. Do <laughs> <laughs> that. That would be that would be ideal. Anything else from anybody here? Or are we good to wrap up? I think I'll take that as the sign. I'll take that as the sign. We talked about James Franco. We ended on Chunk and Bean. So we had a little Franco and Bean. That feels good to me. Uh, <laughs> let's, follow, let's follow all these people on Twitter. Find Jess is on Twitter at Haymaker Hattie. Antonio's at AC Mazzaro. Two Zs, one R. Rob's at Rob Sesternino. I'm at Round Howard. I think the hashtag has to be Ocean's112263. <laughs> Yes, yep. it does. I don't think that there's any other option. Uh, we'll be back next week. Another episode of Most Shows Recap. We're going to talk about Vinyl, the new series oh. on HBO. Are you excited about that, Rob? I'm excited to watch it, yeah. yeah. I haven't already, seen renewed. It already renewed. Already renewed for yeah. season two. Already renewed for season two. I haven't seen any of it yet. I'm really excited, too. It has a great cast, great pedigree behind it. it seems like a really cool show. So we'll talk about that next week. Subscribe to what we're doing at Post Show Recaps. PostShowRecaps.com slash iTunes. And for the most shows, recapped feed, postshowrecaps.com slash MSR iTunes. Jess and I are recording comic book book club podcasts of The Walking Dead, talking about that show from the perspective of people who've read the comics. Rob and I are talking about just the show on Sunday nights. Rob and Antonio, what are you guys up to? Better Call Saul. Better call Saul. This is coming out another episode uh, this Monday, and we'll have a podcast for you guys on Tuesday morning. Sounds good. So lots happening here on Post Show Recaps. Make sure you're subscribed, and we will talk to you all again soon. Take care. Bye.